If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. The scripture lesson this morning comes from John's Gospel, the third chapter, verses 14 through 21. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that who, everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. Here ends this very familiar reading, inspired by God. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Sometimes you draw the short stick and your Sunday to preach includes the text with a snake on a stick, along with what is arguably the most misinterpreted verse in the whole Bible. So let's just dive in. The first part of that text, verses 14 and 15, references a story from the book of Numbers, the fourth book in the Old Testament, chapter 21, verses 4 through 9, where the people of Israel were subject to a plague of poisonous snakes. According to the text, the snakes were a punishment sent by God because of their incessant complaints about their provisions, even to the point of calling manna from heaven miserable food. So God sent poisonous snakes, people died, and the people, not shockingly, repented, confessing their sins against God and asking Moses to pray that God would take away the punishment. God responded to Moses' prayer by requiring Moses to erect a pole with a bronze serpent attached at the top so that those who had been bitten by God's punishment might look up 
look up at it and live. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It just sounds better with the King James Version. (laughs) This single line of scripture has been interpreted to mean that God sent Jesus to earth to save it literally by sacrificing his body in place of ours. And anyone who believes this gets a ticket to heaven and are saved from the fire of hell. This passage has been used to argue that not everyone makes it in. It turns out that salvation, who gets in and who doesn't, is big business. When Rob Bell came out with his book, Love Wins, the evangelical world lost its mind. In Love Wins, Rob Bell affirms universalism, the idea that all humankind will eventually be saved. This idea is not exactly new. It was controversial only in that Bell was a celebrated evangelical pastor. For years, Bell had been pushing the theological envelope, but this this was the proverbial final straw. To deny the existence of hell, to claim that all of us get in, well, that resulted in his full and complete excommunication from that community. In fact, in response to the overwhelming popularity of Bell's book, because surprise, people are drawn to love, the Southern Baptist Convention actually passed a resolution to affirm the reality of hell as a place of eternal physical torment. It's true. It wasn't enough to say that hell is separation from God or eternal death. The SBC felt it necessary to publish a statement making it clear that hell is a real place where, quote, unrepentant sinners will experience conscious eternal suffering. And they wonder why millennials want to go to CrossFit on Sundays. To be fair, there are problems with the idea that everyone gets in. Namely, everyone gets in. We would like for heaven to be inclusive, in theory. But in practice, well, we think that there are a few people who God should take time to consider. Or maybe send somewhere else. Imagine, imagine that, what it would be like for everyone to get in. St. Peter would give tours to the new arrivals. Yes, here on the left in this lovely craftsman-style mansion lives the Reverend Dr. Robin Myers. And right next door, sharing the driveway, his beloved neighbor, Senator Jim Inhofe. (laughs) Every single other. It is, of course, unlikely that John, who is credited with writing this gospel, or the original audience had such a simplistic understanding of what salvation means. After all, the word salvation and its siblings, saved and savior, have a long history in the Hebrew Bible, and John would have drawn from this tradition. Salvation is used almost exclusively in three contexts in the Hebrew Bible, the most obvious being salvation as liberation from bondage, as traced through the exodus of the Hebrew people out of Egypt. Marcus Borg points out that within the framework of the exodus, the meanings of salvation, saved, and savior are comprehensive. Salvation involves liberation from economic bondage, 
The slaves in Egypt were exploited and impoverished, condemned to unremitting hard labor and given only meager, meager rations. It also includes liberation from political bondage. In Egypt, they had no power, no voice, no say in how the system was put together. And finally, liberation from religious bondage. Pharaoh would not give them permission to worship their God, whose passion was for a different kind of world. Salvation in the Hebrew Bible is also about return from exile, centered on the Jewish experience of exile in the 6th century BCE. Most of the book of Isaiah is focused on return from exile and is crowded with the words salvation, saved, and savior. Half of the occurrences of the word savior in the Hebrew Bible are in Isaiah, as in chapter 43. But now thus saith the Lord, do not fear. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious in my sight, and I love you. Do not fear, for I am with you. In this context, salvation is presence, love, assurance. And there is no speaking of salvation without noting how often it is used in the Psalms, where salvation appears more often than in any other book in the Bible. In this context, salvation is rescue, deliverance from peril and danger. Sometimes that peril is illness. Sometimes the peril is the danger posed by enemies or the wicked. Sometimes the peril is death, either by illness or by the hand of the enemy. Psalm 21 27 verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Psalm 51 verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Psalm 31 2, be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. Psalm 142 6, give heed to my cry for I am brought very low. Save me from my persecutors for they are too strong for me. The book of Psalms, a collection of prayers and hymns, contains some of the most heartfelt utterances from the human heart, prayers that we lean on to this day for comfort and assurance. All of these meanings of salvation in the Hebrew Bible, liberation from bondage, return from exile, rescue from peril, they continue in the New Testament, often with a deep emphasis on transformation. To be saved is to enter into a new kind of life, a life covenanted with God, life that is free from economic, political, and religious bondage, life that has returned home from exile, life free from fear and full of love. These are the themes John continues, although it's hard to hear because of all the noise around John 3.16 and the blood atonement theology that accompanies it. John's audience was experiencing bondage in all the ways mentioned above, economic, political, and religious. They too were in exile of sorts and certainly full of fear. By this time, the Romans had destroyed both the city of Jerusalem and the temple. The people were oppressed. This context, along with the passage 
following verse 16 make it clear that John was not presenting a theology of personal salvation that gets a person into heaven. According to John, light came to the world and that light was truth, but not everyone loves the light, of course, that there is evil in the world does not need explaining. It is easy enough to see it, even as darkness covers back alley deals and under the table handshakes. John saw it happening all around him, just like we do. It was and still is easy to see that the world, us included, needs salvation. Salvation from what people have always needed rescuing from economic, political, and religious bondage, exile, fear, evil. As John notes, salvation from all of this requires a change to the system. For John, that change was Jesus, whose life and ministry continues to be the good news, the oppressed set free, the sick healed, the pious humbled, the corrupt moved to repentance, so that opportunity for life abundant exists for everyone, no exceptions. For John, people who believe in or follow the way of Jesus experience salvation because they act like, love like, live like Jesus did. I'm with John on this. The way of Jesus is our path to salvation. It's not that I think Christians are the only ones who have it right. It just, it's just that the world desperately needs Christians to act like Christians. Christians who believe that everyone will be saved. Christians who believe everyone deserves salvation, or as Robin says, Christians who believe that either all of us matter or none of us do. Christians who are deeply committed to following Jesus in order to bring salvation, salvation from gun violence, salvation from nationalism, salvation from racism, sexism, xenophobia. Our main guy, our main guy, Jesus, is a nonviolent healthcare provider, refugee, and community organizer. Evangelicals like to make the revisionist history claim that this is a nation founded on Christianity. But if that were so, America would have open borders, socialized medicine, and a reliable social safety net instead of a military industrial complex. Last week, I accompanied a 19-year-old dreamer to the USCIS office to inquire about a work permit card. She had applied for the work card last summer, filling out the proper paperwork and paying the $410 for production of the card and hoping for the best because you don't get a refund if the application is rejected. She received an approval level letter several months later, which detailed the official work card and that it would be sent in the mail and included a tracking number. When the card didn't come, she went to the post office to have them chase it down. The U.S. Postal Service, though, had no record of the letter. 
which is how we ended up standing at the counter of the USCIS office to ask what to do next. It turns out that it did not matter that the US Postal Service had no record of the letter. It did not matter that everyone agreed the work permit had been officially approved. It did not matter that this dreamer is a student at the local Metrotech and community college, that she has done everything asked of her. USCIS told her she would have to resubmit all of the paperwork, including the approval letter, and pay another $410 to get another card produced. If this is not a situation crying out for salvation from political and economic oppression, I don't know what is. We are on the edge of a teacher walkout. Our teachers need saving, friends. I don't need to spell out how bad the situation is, you're aware, not to mention the plight of our state workers. I have a call this afternoon with the OEA, the Oklahoma Educators Association, and a few other folks about organizing community support for the walkout. Quite frankly, I don't have time to organize this, but I agreed to take the call because I am counting on Mayflower to offer our time, talent, and money so that these teachers and students might not perish but have everlasting funding. <laughs> so here's my ask, Mayflower, and it feels like a big one. I'd like for us to re-enter salvation into our vocabulary. For those of us who have never used it much before, perhaps it won't be as traumatic, just a strange feeling on the tongue. For those of us recovering from a previous salvation experience, I know what I'm asking. There's some serious baggage with that word, but we are in a desperate situation. We need words that carry deep meaning, like salvation. So I'm asking for us to take up the work and ministry of Jesus with real seriousness, to take up the work of salvation. I'll be honest, I am doing this in part because starting tomorrow, I am the chaplain for the week at the Capitol. And it is my preacher policy to never ask others to do what I haven't already asked my own church to do. And I need to know that you're with me on this, that we are all working on saving our students, our teachers, our dreamers, our neighbors who are undocumented, our elderly neighbors on fixed incomes and their sons and daughters struggling with addiction. I need to know that salvation for the underfed, the underemployed, the underserved, and the unheard is what we're working on together always so that none of us perish. I'm half tempted to extend an altar call to invite you to walk down the aisle to make a public commitment but that would have us all heading in the wrong direction. The world is waiting on us, and the back doors are that way. See you there.
You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.